This is Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief, Spartan 117. Welcome to Quality Time, the KO Koala Entertainment Podcast. Anthony and Skyler will take it from here. Master Chief, out. Hello and welcome to Quality Time, the Kale Koala Entertainment Podcast. I'm Skylar Sokol. I'm Andy Nicolosi. And today we are hearkening back to an old friend who we haven't talked about in a little while. Hark, hark, hark! To our, to our boy, Jesse Shell and Game Design, A Book of Lenses. I We have an app with a deck of lenses and sometimes I just press the random button and what comes up is inspirational topic for the podcast. And today... Is is that Anthony? You want to tell us about what we're going to be talking about today? Today we're going to be talking about lens number forty-seven, I, aka the lens of punishment. The lens punishment. Of punishment. Fuck! I spit on my new monitor. <laughs> yeah, stop. Uh, yeah, can you chill my out? Super good monitor. Can you chill out. Here, you want me to get slap you with a um, de- definition here? Yeah, I would like. I would like that. In, 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 in view of the lens of punishment, please slap me with the definition. I will stab you with the following. Okay. Punishment says Jesse must be used delicately, since after all, players are in a game of their own free will. This is this lens comes within the context of um, Jesse calling out the twelve. Most common types of game balance, like metrics or knobs, if you will. Punishment is one of them. Um, the idea of, the, of a game that punishes the player can seem a little strange. Aren't games supposed to be fun? Paradoxically, though, punishment used properly can increase the enjoyment that players get from the game. Here are some reasons a game might punish players. Punishment creates endogenous value. That means it creates value within the game itself. Resources in a game are worth more if there's a chance they can be taken away. Is endogenous value like intrinsic value? Internal value is like technically what it means, the definition says. So it's punishment makes something else valuable in the Ah, game. So it's like it's like the whole concept in life of like you can't feel good things if you don't experience bad things. And a a bit resources in a game are worth more if there's a chance they can be taken away. Sure. Sure. Taking risks is exciting is the next thing he says. Giving players a chance to risk terrible consequences makes success much sweeter. It also plays into triangularity, something we talk into talk to talk about a lot. This notion that if you give me an option that maybe is more risky to um, do but has a bigger payoff, um, punishment plays a big role in in that uh, design and. Yeah, can be something that adds a little bit of spice, makes things exciting. Just a fucking bit, bug right in front of me. Spice. Possible punishment increases challenge. Increasing the punishment that comes with failure can be one way to increase challenges. These are a couple, few reasons why Jesse says punishment might be a is a, is a an important tool in the game balance sandbox. He gives some examples of punishment used in games. Shaming is an example. So uh, this can happen with messages like you missed or defeated. Uh-huh. You know? This is a form of punishment. Uh, loss of points, pretty straightforward. Um, it's, it's less an issue. Losing points is less an issue of being painful, more the fact that when players lose points, it cheapens the value 
when they can't lose points, it cheapens the value of the earned points. Again, getting back to what you said before. Yeah. Another form of punishment is shortened play, losing a life, for example. Terminated play, game over, man. Game, uh, game over, step, man. Setback, um, kind of like reverting to a previous checkpoint. The balancing challenge is to figure out exactly where checkpoints belong, etc. But that's another form of punishment. Um, removal of powers. Some games do that. You lose powers on mm. a, on death. Um, depletion of resources. Um, now, one thing Jesse does call out to finish out the intro is that psychological studies show that rewards are always a always a better tool of reinforcement than punishment. Yeah. So that for what it's worth, um, he gives the example in Diablo. Um, you need to gather food in game in the game. Apparently, he's saying in Blizzard's Diablo, the business of gathering food in the game is one. Many game designers at one time or another get the idea that they like to make a game with a realistic system of food gathering. That is, if you do not gather food, your character suffers. That's like in Minecraft Survival 2. Blizzard implemented this and apparently found that players considered it a nuisance that they had to perform a fairly boring activity or suffer a penalty. So Blizzard tuned it, turned it around and implemented a system where, where your player never gets hungry, apparently. So... Yeah, your mod is so bright you can't even read the text you're reading. I see wiping your eyes. God, your mod. My context is falling out of my damn. Your monitor is so bright. Yeah, I got this brand new ASUS Tough Gaming. Technically, I think it's 2K 165 hertz monitor, and it's the most glorious thing I've ever looked at. (laughs) And I uh, I have the brightness full blast, and it's apparently (laughs) killing your eyes. eyes. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so punishment is really interesting in games, right? We see so many different varieties of it in modern games um, from, like, the obvious answer in my mind is, like, Dark Souls, right? One of the most right. quote, punishing games in existence. When you die, you go back to the checkpoint, the, the bonfire, all the enemies respawn, everything happens, and I think punishment in the lens of Dark Souls is really interesting because I see people play it, like Sean, someone who's obsessed with Dark Souls, right? And yep. he told me about how like everyone just refers to like the run back, which is what happens when you die and you have to run back to where you were yep. like the boss room and you end up just running by a lot of the enemies. You only fight the ones you have to. So that like begs the question, is that a good punishment design? People love it, but is it kind of stupid? I kind of think so. Like that sounds like bad punishment design to <laughs> me, but I mean, does it sound, I think the question comes down to uh, channeling my inner Celia Hoden. <laughs> What your game demographic likes, she actually used Dark Souls as an example because she was saying Dark Souls like is hard and she like she said a lot of people don't like that, you know, like and the elements about that. But she said the design is actually very good for the player demographic that Dark Souls is targeting. So, you know, in the end, I think it kind of boils down to just like what your players expect. Now, I. I, I there was recently I'm trying to think this game that came out that brought out the conversation around checkpoints mm-hmm. um, and specifically it was like the absence of checkpoints in this game recently. I don't know if it was Cuphead. Cuphead doesn't have he only had like it one checkpoint checkpoints in some the, levels. In, it has checkpoints in the uh, in the like platforming levels and then the bosses obviously don't have checkpoints. Yeah, maybe the ones in the end have more, but I know in the platforming levels I did up through like airplane lady boss. Um, there usually was only like one checkpoint mm-hmm. in the middle. Um, so anyway, comparing that to like when I played Ori, which you had like you could save pretty frequently. Oh. 
you know, definitely different design philosophies between those two games. <laughs> and like, is one better than the other? You know, I, um, I think I, it depends on the target demographic, right? Similar to what you just said about Celia. I, and I feel, I, I feel maybe one way if you wanted to, because otherwise, I think we just like finish this conversation here. Just pl- depends on the target demographic, and it's over. But what about? What about this in regards to like respecting players time, right? Yeah. So I think that's really interesting. And that's why I bring up the Dark Souls one, because like clearly it's not respecting players time because they they want to run by the enemies. If they felt like it was like valuable time spent, they would be fighting the enemies again. Right. Like right. it's not interesting to run. Maybe people do find it interesting to run by the enemies and maybe this whole running by them thing is fun and valuable, but I don't really see that being the case. Um, I don't know. Can you think of any other games where like you really didn't, you didn't like the punishments or the punishments took away from the game for you? Well, I'll tell you, I don't have a PS five, but recently watching returnal, right. And of course, um, that was one where I was like, you know, if I had a PS five, I want to play this. And then I heard about how punishing the deaths were right. It was the deaths. I think it wasn't like any kind of like checkpoint system. This is roguelikes, right? And roguelikes as a genre have this this quote unquote issue. But I don't know. I really like that that kind of like there is definitely something to say, like what Jesse said about this, like weight that gets put on you when you know the punishment is a lot. Right. The weight of knowing that when you die, you're permanently dead. Like Minecraft hardcore mode even is an example of this. Players intentionally picking a harder punishment in order to create more weight on their actions. Right. Like mining down matters a lot less in a Minecraft non hardcore save than in a hardcore save. Yep. And that's fun yeah. for some people, right? And the moments you create when you die in those hardcore things are way, way more like meaningful, I guess, and entertaining. Yep. Maybe not fun for the player, but definitely fun if they're like a streamer or whatever. Yeah, I think it gets back to contributing towards triangularity, right? Like yeah. if if punishment can help spice up the decisions I have to make, then um, I generally find it. Um, yeah, I guess get, getting to what I how I personally feel at games that are too punishing. Um, honestly, I felt like cuphead for me at least was too punishing. I didn't want to keep grinding those levels. Um, it was frustrating. It was just more frustrating than adding like any significant amount of exciting weight, if you will, to the, to the experience. Um, I agree with you on the platforming levels. I also like, didn't feel like they were that effective on the bosses. I didn't feel, I felt like, like wanting to beat the boss in one sitting was fine for me at least. And I was still motivated, but definitely with the platforming levels, I felt the same way. Yep. Yep. Um, another important element of balancing punishment, in my opinion, is thinking of the level of punishment in relation to where the player is on the mastery path. Right. So like in theory of fun, um, Raf Koster gives this good example of say you're learning how to play tennis. The first thing you do is somebody gives you the ball and they're just like, you know, connect with the ball. That's right. your first challenge. Second one, let's try and hit it over the net. Right now, if you were to step from hitting it over the net to playing somebody with 10 years, and that was the step you made, that level of challenge is so difficult that it's, it's not satisfying. It's not challenging. It's just broken, you know? Um, so that kind of punishment, again, I, 
I am sure there are some people out there that uh, enjoy that level of punishment, that level of challenge. They maybe just see it as a big challenge and they enjoy um, trying to overcome that. But I, I, I think that's a key some of the best games I'm thinking like also rocket league right now, rocket league's got insane depth to it into its mechanics. You can do so much. And as you progress up the levels, like players get so good out such a wide variety of things. And then there's the strategy with the teams, blah, blah, blah. But you're not put against, I mean, barring Smurfs, you're not put against yeah. like a grand champ rocket league player. When you're just starting out playing, you're put up against somebody else who is, kind of equally as new equally as skilled this is also wait wait finish your point because i have no idea how this relates to punishment at all because (laughs) because this is this is all relating to some of the best games manage this challenge of making sure the punishment is never too great to discourage you from wanting to keep playing right they uh, do it just right to progress and i mean it do it just right for the majority of the people they're looking for, I guess, to play the game, right? Like, I think people who love Dark Souls would say it does it just right. But I, like I, I was saying earlier, I don't think so. Yeah, you like know? I said, I think some people out there, you know, the legendary all skulls on Halo kids right. who have no HUD, uh, only can melee or whatever the fuck. And they're like on legendary, like, yeah, this is awesome. Like there are people out there. But yeah, I just don't think the general... I think the general demographic is pretty safe to say um, likes a well-balanced punishment system. Yeah, yeah. And so what's interesting is, right, like originally in games, when games first started coming around, like the Atari games and whatever, they were basically like point-based games where the more points you got, the better you were doing. And when you died, the game ended and you started over and you had to get back to your point value. And I Mm -hmm. think like that core design was like the 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 spawning of punishments in games like you know dying and starting over being like what a punishment looks like in a game mario obviously does that same thing but then came like checkpoints in mario and stuff like that to alleviate the punishments and now we have like mario odyssey and games like that where the punishment there's essentially no punishment for dying like literally in mario odyssey when you die you lose like a hundred coins or some bullshit that literally doesn't matter at all. And you could grind back in like five minutes and mm-hmm. then you like start back at the, at a random checkpoint in the level, but you can check warp anywhere in the level. Like Mario Odyssey essentially removed checkpoint or removed punishment um, from the game. And it's great. It's like one of the best games I've ever played. So like, I think it's such a good example of rewards being so strong that punishments are un unnecessary right like it's still like you have to start over but the starting over is so limited that and it just doesn't matter because there's so much content and i think maybe that's a big part of this is that the amount the quantity of content in order to not need like to have less intense punishments matters right i think a lot of games artificially extend their length by having greater punishments i agree right yep yeah i think this also Getting to the endogenous value thing that Jesse called out earlier, um, if you think about like even some of the earliest games, even if it was just like Pong and it's like, I don't know, you, what is it, Pac-Man? Like you're trying to, Pac-Man, right? When you die, you like lose points or something, right? Uh, I mean, the game ends. 
yeah, yeah the game eventually is it's a terminated one yeah, they're like so, like the, all these arcade games are essentially permadeath games right once you right. once you're dead you're dead i mean but imagine if you didn't die it's like you are the the sole motivator for playing pac-man would be the intrinsic value you have for i'm sorry the intrinsic motivation you have around like in playing the game like how much you enjoy executing pac-man <laughs> and I think related to what you're saying, not only just the breadth, the amount, the volume of content has increased, but the depth of content has also increased, which enables games to be more satisfying, right? Like they, they are more intrinsically interesting. Super Mario, uh, Super Mario Odyssey is more, has more mechanical depth than the Super Mario's of to 20 years well ago, and just the content you know? right there's like uh, like so many moons to get in the game that there's just so much to be doing that you don't even really have time to be like being punished for not succeeding because there's just so much to do well and not only that but another thing that celia does call out in her book gamers brain that this is making me think is there are studies surrounding like if there's a person who intrinsically loves doing something and then is fed extrinsic rewards and they start pursuing those extrinsic rewards. If you take those extrinsic rewards away, their intrinsic interest in the thing almost always goes down. Right. So you can kill someone's intrinsic interest in something by showing them external rewards and then getting rid of them. Right. Extrinsic like, rewards. That's exactly. Crazy. Yeah. And it actually is very consistent. And I, I made this comment regarding the Halo Infinite Master. I'm sorry, the Halo Master Chief Collection Battle Pass system, because the way the battle and I don't th Halo's not unique in this regard, but what something I noticed about the MCC was I would play MCC like five or seven games of it a week all the time, no uh -huh. matter what, just because I love playing the fucking 20 year old Halo games. You know, they introduced these challenges that were would rotate out some of them at most, I think, weekly. And you got X like credits in game that allowed you to get armors. I started pursuing that because some of the armors that came out were cool. And then I noticed that I would, I am overall playing master chief collection a lot less because when I think about going to go play it, I think about, I need to get the challenges done. Mm -hmm. And so then I'm like, I don't want to do challenges. And so I'm like, I'm just not going to play, you know? Yeah. Um, well, and that's interesting because so infinite recently said that their progression system was going to be wholly challenge based as well, at least currently. Yeah, exclude. Yeah, so you might run into the same thing again. I think and realistically, I will tell you, it's really interesting. Just sorry, yeah. not to interrupt, but um, oh god, what game is it? Uh, Valorant originally had a solely challenge-based battle pass system. It was always challenge-based. The amount of XP you got for like not doing challenges just for playing a match was essentially like negligible, like nothing, zero. Like it was like a hundred, um, and the challenges were like fifteen thousand, um, mm -hmm. and in the last season or the previous season, they re-added an XP system to the game independent of the battle pass because so many people were begging for some sort of progression that they could get just by playing. Right. Um, and it's been very popular. Rocket League as well has always had their XP progression system that exists in, in addition to the battle pass. And I think people love that because I think it helps you just, I mean, and maybe it's because we're so spoiled by extrinsic rewards that even just by playing the game and not doing anything special, we want to feel like we're being rewarded. Yeah. I mean, personally, I feel it's more tied to trying to, you know, monetize the experience personally, but because it's a free to play title. But yeah, I agree with you. That is, that is also. 
Well, you don't pay anything that. for the for the player progression in Valorant. That's the difference between it and the battle pass. You get rewards. And no, no, XP. no. I, I, sorry, I'm saying I think the the reason why they're going to this exclusive to challenge, challenge based. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes, agreed, agreed. And I think it. Yeah, it definitely disrespects the player a bit. Yeah, I think in this particular scenario, I will have enough intrinsic interest because it's a new Halo game for a long time. But in the event that like after a thousand hours of play, something's not in there, I think, yeah, for sure, it's going to probably contribute in a similar way for me, at least. Well, and I saw Um, the community reaction was similar to that. And actually, Microsoft came out and said, or whoever, sorry, the developer came out three, three, four, three, said um, that they... uh, that they were going to look into an alternate form of progression, possibly to add yeah. on top of it because of the it's negative kind of response. Bonkers, man, kind of, this is like a little bit of a tangent off of punishment, but yeah, it's kind of crazy that you wouldn't have these XP progression systems. I, so many of these games aren't doing it and then are adding it later. Like just it, like a point goes up. Is that yeah, okay? like why <laughs> not? Give me a player level that goes up when I play. How hard is that? I mean, maybe because they feel pressured to like add like some sort of cosmetic reward or something. And they want to spend their time developing those for the challenge based system or whatever. But I don't even care. Uh, I feel like just having a number that goes up is enough for a lot of people. Yeah, I think, and maybe it is this, it's like, because this is the only way your number goes up, we get you in the system. And then if you're in the system, more likely chance, there's probably data that shows they'll buy more. Sure. What I would say is like, if you make a system where if your number, I mean, this is related to punishment in that it's talking about how to make good rewards, right? Right. Which, Which offset punishments. And in that, like, why not make it so when you gain levels, you get like a little bit of battle pass credit, right? Like, why not? Is it really that bad? Like, yeah, or something like even yeah. if you have to pay for the battle pass anyway. So why not just like let you get some XP through your player level or something? It's just like, I don't know. I feel like the battle no, pass agree. systems in general have really like put us backwards as far as like respecting the player, even though battle passes are great in a lot of ways. I feel like they do like they're moving more and more towards not respecting people's time. Yeah, unfortunately, it seems like most free to play games and this getting to punishment free, most free to play monetization models are more about like inconveniencing you into spending money. It's what Helia said. Or, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. It's, it's what like Celia said. said about like uh, ethical uh, mm-hmm. time, making players spend time ethically and like not like because all battle passes are essentially time exclusive rewards. Right? right. And that shit is horrible. Yep. Like, yeah, I mean, and if like, for example, Halo Infinites are not like the battle pass never goes away itself, but because the challenges are time based, there's still an element there. It just gets back to this like so- psychological notion of it. The battle pass and missing out on the battle pass makes me feel more like like I I finish games even in the Halo Infinite flight and I'm like, oh, shit, am I tracking the right challenge? Oh, fuck. I just like wasted an opportunity to get more points. I feel punished because I did not engage in the battle pass system yeah. i don't feel rewarded and whatever you know what i mean and i'll tell you a lot of the best games that i've played that have challenge based reward systems are um ones where they display the challenges on screen while you're playing so that mm. at, like that have ux elements that inform you of the challenge you need to complete while you're playing so you're not just like wasting your time trying to remember all this shit right like If challenges are going to be the pinnacle of your progression, then you should be able to see them at any time, right? There should be a tracker on your screen. And well, and in the event that you need to choose which ones you want to track, you should be able to track them anywhere too. Yep. Yeah. And, and a lot of some fighting games have done things like this, especially. Yeah. Just again, it's like a reward system that 
it's punishing me. <laughs> right. It's punishing you for wanting to just play the game, which it's does a, not feel a like paradox. a good thing. Yeah, it really is. My reward system is hurting me. Right. <laughs> I'm not very rewarding. Yeah. And I think in the past, we always had challenge systems being completely optional and just like an additional element of triangularity. And now yeah. like playing with the challenges is like turning into the intended way to play the game, which feels like a not a great departure for design. I like I like Rocket League system the most so far of like you have an XP system. You have a free battle pass tier. You have a paid battle pass battle pass tier. And then the challenges never seem that big of a deal. It's like the, the most annoying ones are like you have to equip this cosmetic, but even that isn't that big a deal, right? Right. Yeah. The, those are kind of cheese for sure. And like I've seen the community want harder ones, but I kind of res- appreciate they're not that hard. No, honestly. I agree. You basically just play and you get them and you don't really have to care. Like maybe you have to yeah, play a specific mode, but that like it's not a big deal. Unlike uh, unlike some challenge systems where it's like you have to right. be focusing on the challenge rather than on the game. Playing on, playing in a mode, I'm like pretty okay with. Um, in Master Chief Collection, sometimes you can only play certain Halos, like mm. Reach and mm-hmm. Two, and like that one. Those are kind of like okay, I definitely but... well because I don't want to. This is I think another reason why I don't want to particularly participate in that system is because. If I play if I play MCC and I'm sure this is a strategy in order to get people to play more of than just like their their go to Halo. Yeah, but I'm I'm going in there and I'm like I want to play one, two, or three. Don't want to play really four and I don't want to play Reach. And so I queue up for always one and two and then sometimes three. And then the the challenges are like complete all these things in Reach and Halo one. And I'm like fuck you know with like I feel like. Before I had an hour to play, I would play the games I wanted to play. And now I feel like there's a psychological pull to play what I don't want to play. What you because have I need to points. play. Yeah. yeah, I have to play these because these give me the challenge. I hate that. That's shit. not like, ethical UX design. Like, I don't I really don't think so. It doesn't respect the player, what the player wants. Like, yeah, it's your just, design should be giving the player as much of what they want as possible. And that's not what these yeah. are doing. Um, so now get, getting back more to punishment, I'm just curious, since I know you've played some newer games recently outside of your normal yeah. your normal stuff, what was Song of Iron's punishment system like? How did that feel? So Song of Iron's punishment, thankfully, was very manageable. I never got into a situation where... So what it was was like you had checkpoints. You would have okay. checkpoints throughout so the So classic like checkpoint sort of level yeah. system. And were they very... Were they ext- like really often? Like you basically felt like once you they completed a really challenging encounter, you had one? Or no, it wasn't like that. I, I felt like whenever um, Song of Iron kind of goes through these sequences of um, traver- like map traversal, some puzzling elements, some light combat, and then uh-huh. usually some heavy combat, some like sort of boss sequences. And like... Usually after a hard puzzle part or a, and there's even a clip of me saying this after a hard puzzle part or after a boss fight felt like I needed a checkpoint and it would be there. So, um, song of iron at least was able to balance that out. And at the end, which is fucking crazy. It's also was done well, like, because you can die at the end. And I remember dying at, I'm the end is mind bending and you're like in the end and you die and I was afraid it was going to like really revert me back and it oh. didn't. It like put me somewhere else. So in Song of Iron was done well in Deathloop. Yeah, that's what the other one I was going to ask about. If you I don't I mean, you didn't really play much, so I don't know if you have a good 
Yeah, and so in Deathloop, what would happen is you had, I think it was loops. Like they're kind of effectively lives where Mm -hmm. you start a level and you play through and you do have like checkpoints along the way in the level. But if you lose every time you die, you lose a loop and Uh you start at your checkpoint. If you lose all your loops, you start at the beginning of the level. Okay, so it's pretty much just a a life system. It seemed pretty fair for what it's worth. I did churn on the game after... (laughs) Losing all my loops in one section. Okay. So maybe there's, you know, I I am pretty sensitive towards like a, for a game to really capture my attention, it's got to like compete with, it's either got to be so digestible that I can finish it quickly, you know, and w- like three to four hours and mm-hmm. I call it good. Or it needs to be intrinsically interesting enough that I don't feel like just playing Halo or Rocket League or something. Yeah, my question is, like, how do you personally deal with Minecraft's punishments? Because I feel like Minecraft, although, like, you just start back, it's kind of it can be very punishing. Like, it can can you can have wasted like hours, right? I would we once were playing really like more hardcore in an old realm, Brittany and I. Uh Uh-huh. And we were just way sweatier about it then. And when we died, we like, it, it was a big deal, but we died much less often because we played really sweaty. Okay. Now in the realm, like, I won't lie. I back shit up and I reset my backups. Okay. Like, if shit, if, if shit gets real bad, I just reset my backups. So, so you um, are essentially alleviating the punishment system. Correct. With a, like I an think exploit. That, like what? I, like I, I personally have no intrinsic desire to, play hardcore like mm. it would maybe be funny but i'm not like i can't i would love to go up to the challenge of hard i don't play legendary halo i don't play like with the amount of time i um have for video games and the kind of place they have in my life it's i'm looking more for an enjoyment rewarding system right. a rewarding experience whatever blah 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 I'm not looking from like going to working all the time to like fucking something even more stressful than work. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, not, I, not, not for me, not for me. And I'll tell you, I used to, so rhythm games are another game that have interesting punish, punishing systems like DDR and most classic rhythm games. When you do bad, you lose, like you get kicked out of the song. Um, if you're at the True. arcade in DDR and you lose, you lose your entire credit, right? Like if you lose on the first song, you don't get That's to play anymore. on the arcades. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I've gravitated much more towards games where that's not the case. Like my, my, for example, you can't fail in songs like you can fail, but you don't get kicked out. You get to play the whole song and you get to play your whole credit no matter what all three songs. And it's just so much better. I agree. I don't have time to waste on like being kicked out of something I want to get better at. Just like, let me play the fucking game. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, that's an interesting one. I played the shit out of DDR revolution uh-huh. in ps2 era and uh it's true it's punishing but i just had so much fun dancing that i didn't give a fuck right like, right well and i think there's a different mindset there right and i think this relates to sea of thieves as well in my mind like if you're playing sea of thieves to care uh, about getting the loot and nothing else and the only thing ooh. that matters to you is returning loot you're gonna hate how punishing sea of thieves is but if you're just sea there to like have fun exam. right it, that game is so punishing if your goal is to just get loot Brittany doesn't play sea of thieves anymore mostly outside of like if we're all together playing as friends with um because it's so punishing she's like i just go in i get shit done and then they fucking kill me right you know, somebody comes and kills me and takes my stuff and 
whatever. I think um, thankfully the sandbox and like the the just playing with people is so yeah, rewarding community. that it's yes. okay. But if it wasn't that rewarding, that I would hate that game. I would be like, I this agree. is a waste of my time. Well, when we when I started streaming it, I want to say like four or five months ago again. Um, there was a day I was literally so addicted to it from having so much fun that I finished stream and I kept playing uh-huh. and that I played, like I did a quest and then I went for another one. I got so much shit. I did whatever the fuck. And then I got galleoned and in such a douchebag way, they like helped me first and then they blew the shit oh, out of me. And they no. took all my stuff. That I uninstalled sea of thieves <laughs> and I made hard, I made hard drive space for some other game. I don't remember at the time. So like, yeah, that, yeah, just for me at least, um, that level of punishment. What do you think about the punishment of deranking? So I think it's a, a harsh reality of ranked competitive play, right? Like there's definitely a weird balance because I think that anyone who is playing a competitive video game expects to consistently get better and they want their rank to reflect that. So mm-hmm. a lot of systems have implemented ways to make them feel less punishing. Like for example, the grace game in rocket league, um, mm-hmm. which I don't know if people are familiar with rocket League's rank system, but if you get below the MMR required to be at a rank, you get to lose one more game before you get ranked down. Whereas if you get above the rank required to get to a rank, you go there immediately. So you actually get an extra game at the rank when you go down. And that's literally to address this exact problem, which is that when people don't feel like they're maintaining or getting better in a ranked system, they tend to get angry, even if it's accurate. Um, Right. And like you have to be very serious about your mastery path and improving at a game in order to accept a just a completely standard MMR system. Like chess, for example, uses the most standard like MMR was invented for chess, essentially. And chess like chess.com, the normal chess apps, they use the normal MMR system where you just gain or lose based on what what the MMR difference is. And that's it. There's no other, there's no, there's no bells or whistles. And for people who love chess, it's fine. And they want that. They want the most accurate representation of their skill. But for people in like rocket league who are like, Oh, I'm always getting better. I'm better than all my teammates. And maybe for any team based competitive multiplayer game where you can make the excuse that you're better than everyone else, having just D ranking can like really affect people's mindset about playing the game. Yep. And maybe it yeah. is because of teams. I think that the fact that it's team-based plays a big role because I think fighting game players are way more open to deranking than other players as long as it feels like I the do, system is yeah. accurate. Because it feels like somehow, I don't know, a lot of times, especially fucking Rocket League, right. I feel like, damn, my fucking teammates, you know, they're right. fucking me. You know, right. it's like it's the punishment is unfair because they suck. When in me. reality, it's probably not. In reality, it's, it, pro- yeah, it's, it's mixed probably bag. not that, it's, right. And in Rocket League, it's... Uh, yeah, it can be – I think the other element that makes it a little frustrating in Rocket League, at least like in my opinion compared to, for example, my experience in Halo, grinding competitive Halo, like if the other Halo team is better than you, you know by the time it's like 30 to 12 uh-huh. in a Slayer game. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? In Rocket League, it's fucking 1-0. Or like even like one one overtime. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So you're like – you're always – it's very rare that you just get – 
super shit on. No. Most of the time, it's even games, and so you're like, have hope the whole time, right. which just makes it more crushing <laughs> yes. when you fail. Now, answer so, me this. This is something that just came to my mind. What? Wait me this, Batman. Because I think a huge problem with Rocket League that's always been a problem that they've never addressed, well, they've sort of tried, but it didn't work, is their metric tracking is really bad in games, right? Yeah. Like, your score means essentially nothing, and everyone understands that your score means essentially nothing. Yeah. What if Rocket League's Mector tracking was good enough that at the end of a game, you could see metrics that helped you to realize what you did wrong in the game? Maybe mm -hmm. the D-ranking wouldn't feel so punishing. And I feel like FPSs do this a lot better. You can see a lot more of like your performance in FPS metrics than you can in a game like Rocket League. Right. No, it's true. In Halo, you can, you can see like, yeah, okay, I have five kills and 12 deaths, but... I have 10 assists and the amount of damage I dealt was this much. You actually infinite shows you like the, your accuracy on headshots specifically. Right. Um, how much the new one, another new one I really like in infinite is the damage you received. So like if you have 10, 12 deaths, but you receive three times the damage of the other guys, you were putting yourselves in places to like help the team maybe or something like that and still relatively successfully staying alive. You know what yeah. I mean? So I agree with you that in the event that you had that, if nothing else, I think it would make you the punishment feel not as bad. Right. Right. Um, like what and if it told if you like how many times you double committed with someone or whatever, right? Right. Like and right. and it could detect that it was your fault. Like it, you shouldn't have gone for that ball. Like look, motherfucker, you double committed one hundred times. You know you uh, own gold two times. Whatever right. the fuck. Like this is on you. You right. fucked up. Right. You know and ideally also the algorithm can incorporate that. I know for Halo, um, there's a whole white paper by Josh Menke on how they're doing that. Like they they can get. They said that for Halo 5, they could extremely accurately, I don't remember, 90 plus percent accuracy, get to a person's true rank in one game. Right. By by the end of Halo 5, right? Which is, this is also sick. how they could tell Smurfs. Like, right. they're like, You've, you're not supposed to be here. You know? Yep. Um, now, the question right, so, with that, though, right, is like, you have to account for like someone being uh, having an off game or whatever, but obviously they do, right? They're never going to like decide your rank off one game. They'll give you some a grace period, but right. that a system like that is really powerful. And I think system, the future of like non punishing ranked systems are systems that um, are player performance based, but in an accurate way and mm -hmm. are very transparent to those metrics. I think those are the right. two factors that make players feel like respected when they're playing a ranked game. Yep. I agree. Um, uh, yep. I agree. I was going to say something, but I lost. The track okay. of it. I think, I think that's a great place to end and we move on to a patron question. What are they going to ask us this week? So we have that old question. We never answered from Marcus. I think the second part oh, of his Marcus, question, Marcus. I can't okay. find it. And we also have an animus question oh. that I found. So if you want to look for, oh, oh, actually, the animus question was before it, and I don't think we ever answered it. Which okay. Oh, but animus stopped being a patron. That's why, because oh. he was never a patron. We'll save that. We'll save that one. I'm gonna pin when it. When he returns, I'm gonna pin it in the channel so that when he returns, we will answer his question. Marcus was a, Oh, I, I see. I found this it. Question. I found it. Yeah. So it was his. I believe his second question we never answered, which is. If Agora blows up and you can work on KO Koala full time, 
What part of the business are you most excited to focus more on since game making is freed from your schedules? Like the content creation with streams and higher quality videos, podcasts and projects or adding more onto Agora through updates or DLCs or even a sequel or some other things we got you guys have planned. So we have previously mentioned that we have plans to work on an Agora sequel essentially immediately after Agora, assuming it does well. Otherwise, we might consider doing something like relating to the first game to try and get more money or whatever. But let's, I, I, I would say assuming Agora does well. Um, I think that for me, I'm most excited to just be able to work on the, a, a new game full time. Like I've never, and neither of us, none of us have ever experienced what it's like to work on video games full time to be able to yeah. not feel like even like a tinge of guilt that we're working on, not our, our like full time jobs or whatever. Right. Like, right. That 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 like experience is the thing I'm by far the most excited for, and specifically focusing on game design because that's always been my passion. Like the design of the game, what the mechanics are going to look like, and what the levels are going to look like. I already have so many ideas for how like Agora Two can can look and feel, from really simple things to like you know complex mechanics. Anthony and I have been discussing since the the beginning of, since the design phase of the first game that we're like that's for Agora Two. <laughs> yeah. What about you? I don't know, man. Um, it's hard to even imagine the world where we're doing this full time, right? It's hard to even I picture most that. Excited about, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, we've talked about it before. The way I don't like the way that Ko Koala evol- evolves is, I think, a pretty unique in regards to normal indie studios. This is not just like we made this cool little game and then we disappear. And then three years later, it's another game. Right. Content creation and building a relationship with our community is always a first class citizen priority. I, I, I would love to build out our content chops. It's, it's going to be a, I think the thing I'm most excited for is what you said first is like just being able to full-time do this. That would be amazing. And then two, um, navigating those balance problems. Um, I know that sounds weird, but like, I think that sounds like a lot of fun. It's like, okay, we have X amount of money. We have X amount of time. Where do we put it? Where do we invest our resources? I like, I mean, it's exciting to kind of go. I don't know. I, I enjoy the journey of smelling out the opportunities, trying things out like 99% of the time things failing, but finding the 1% thing that kind of worked and like, going after this it's a fun exciting process i i really am most excited to like sleep consistently at least six hours <laughs> that that's a good one i i actually on the content side something i'm really excited about is if we feel like we can being more transparent about our game development for yeah, game two and potentially yep. being able to like you know stream doing development for example or like really just like talk to our community about stuff for the upcoming game way longer before it comes out. And granted, like yeah. the, the, the cycle for game two will hopefully be much shorter than game one. Uh, Anthony and my hope is if we can work full time, we could even have it out in like a year or two max. Um, so like yeah. in that sense, we would be able to share a lot more of the actual game development experience with our audience, which is something we haven't really been able to do. And we would love to, if we could. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So much cool content possibilities. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think that's, that's the answer to that. I don't know. Kind of general, question. kind of vague, but like, yeah. honestly, like I, we're so focused on getting to step one. <laughs> yeah. Which is getting there. Yeah. That, um, 
honestly, I, yeah, I have so much, so many thoughts captured in so many documents about <laughs> like, if this works, oh fuck, step two is going to be complicated. Yeah. So. Here's what we do. Yeah. But yeah. it'll be great. And I'm, I'm so excited. Yeah, I'm I mean, excited. it's been like my dream my entire life to be able to work on a video game full time. So like if we get make there, his dream happen, Marcus. Amazing. Yeah. It's up to Marcus. Uh, it's up to how well Marcus is, Marcus edits our gameplay trailers. That's right. <laughs> um, okay. Thanks everyone. Where can people find us? Anthony? I forgot. You can find us at kaokoalaentertainment.com. There you have links to all our social media, especially most importantly, our discord. If you go to our social media anywhere and you click on our link tree, you're going to get a link also to our gleam controller giveaway. Gleam. One winner will get to choose their choice of PS5 controller, Joy-Cons, or Xbox. Um, it's the red one, Forge, some like red camouflage Xbox Series X controller. Very cool. You get to choose what you want if you win. We do giveaways like this all the time on Instagram, on Discord, on social media. We stream on Twitch. Get links to all that, kaokualaentertainment.com. We've been saying enjoy what it looks like for now, but it is literally my task to update that shit starting next week. So it, probably in a couple it, weeks, it, it'll probably be different. Yeah. Nice new website. Ooh. So yeah. Enjoy that. Please wish list our game Agora on steam. If you are a steam member, it helps so much. If we can get to five to 10, do you know what we're wish at? List. Not off the top of my head. Not recently. We're in the hundos. Hell we're in the hundos. Yeah. So, nice. Somewhere in the hundreds. Thank you guys for contributing. Everyone who's wishlisted so far really makes a big deal. If we can get to five to 10,000 before the game releases, that gives us um, a very good chance of getting on the front page and um, of steam, which helps us so much more. It, uh, it makes our ability to hit our sales goals so much more likely. So. Yep. Thank you everyone for listening to the podcast. As always, um, you can find a link to Agora, by the way, on our website. Yes. So tune in next week. We'll have a regular yeah. podcast, right? But the following week we have our boy Eduardo on sound designer for indie games. He's technically next week. Is, is, He's technically next week. Is he? What day is he? The eighth. So yeah, next week is going to be a funny schedule instead of Monday's podcast. Oh, that's right. It's a Friday podcast. Yes. And then, and then a po- another podcast on the 12th, right? 11th. On the 11th. So there's a Friday and a Monday podcast. Eduardo, sound designer for games such as What Remains of Edith Finch, Gora Goa, many Annapurna titles, now the head of his own devel- own game studio in talks with uh, publishers right now to publish his game. Worked um, on After Party, which I just recently read a really positive yep. review on. And then on, I have we announced who's on the? I've, are we? Is that a secret still? The eleventh? No, we can we can reveal it. Beep, 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 if you beep. stayed around till the end of this podcast, you get a big reveal here. Potentially our biggest guest ever. Uh, on next next, no, I'm sorry, October eleventh. Randy Pagulayan, senior director of research for gaming at Microsoft, will be on quality time. That's right. Oh, my goodness. So tune in next week. If you thought the Celia podcast was awesome, you will love the one with Randy as well. He is. um, If Randy doesn't recommend me a research, a novel written by a socialist, then I won't be better. But it'll still be Celia. (laughs) Celia with that socialist novel recommendation. 
There's so much more content. Oh, there goes Skyler's mic. There's so much more Celia content coming out. If you missed that episode, we highly recommend you check out episode 87. It was super good. Or check out some clips that we've posted on YouTube of it. Until next time, everybody. Goodbye. See you. Bye.